interestingly, Matt, that text you read at the very beginning of the service in Psalms was the exact text that I read that the Lord led me to one early morning prior to ever coming here to daybreak. And it was the text, especially the part where it said, I want you to be even if it's the doorkeeper. And it said, Lord said, you're going, you're going to faith community. I forgot it was daybreak at the time, so forgive me. But I said, we're go- going there. And it was the one that held me through that. You know, it's a new year because I'm getting older because I did something this morning to help me in this process of my preaching and my eyesight. I increased the font size. So <laughs> last week I was realizing how often I was doing a, okay, what does that say down there? I did get a little stab in the dark, but I said, I'm going bigger now. You know how you can do it on the phone as well? You can go, poof, big words coming up. Fantastic. That's all right. Humility, age is nothing, age is nothing. I was not that long ago at my son's firefighter grad, and I was so surprised by, I guess I should have known, but how militaristic it was. You know, we had all the marching, the the uniform, the, the inspections, the guy walking between the lines, checking them out with everything, you know, one guy took a little piece of lint off, you know, off the pads. I'm going, wow. They had the salute, and you received the hat and all this. But as they were doing this, they even had the bagpipes. Like, we're talking the full thing. And I'm going, wow, I, I feel underdressed here. But anyways, I'm there, and I'm enjoying the whole thing. But during the marching, as they all came in, they had to train for this, I couldn't stop but look at one person the whole time. I couldn't keep my eyes off of them. Were they that good looking? No, no, it was not about being that good looking. They were offbeat. Serious, you don't know, whew, they got it all done. He was always one to two seconds behind. This is the evil part of me. I took my phone out. I said, I got videotape this. This is a classic. No, I am not going to show it to you this morning. Uh, but it stood out like a sore thumb. It was, it was just off enough to just hit you right in the face. And no matter how hard I tried, I just, I just kept coming back to him. I don't know, some deep satisfaction that we're all not coordinated. That's okay. Well, that's what I realized that a lot of times in life, no matter how hard we try, sometimes we're just out of step. And it becomes very obvious. And that's what we know about this planet of ours. It's out of step. At times, you get the sense that everyone in this world is somehow marching to their own beat. They're doing their own thing. There are, there are moments of synchronized unity, and, but suddenly, in the midst of that unity, there they are, rhythm breakers. You can just see it. It's throwing it off. And it doesn't take much to throw a rhythm off. One wrong note can do it. One clap at the wrong time. One wrong step. And so some are really obvious, some not so much. Even like in Canada, when we look at our live television, when we think of war, is just always on TV, it's somewhere else. But we still know something's off, something is amiss. And it's easier to spot um, when rhythm is broken, when you're used to it being perfect, when you've seen it at its best. You know, if I had Kathy Green, who's in <coughs> Mexico right now, suffering, uh, but if, if I had Kathy Green play a Mozart piece, and then I played a Mozart piece, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. I took, I think, one and a half years of piano, so that, that will help you right there. You would hear that 
And then this would become very obvious how bad it is. One of the wonderful things about life and God's creation is when I look at it, the incredible rhythm that is found everywhere. And I believe it was very intentional. The perfection often is so inspiring, especially as I begin to read books on the human body. And I, I, that's one of my kind of my hobbies, just understanding how God wired everything together. You know, but even in, in, in the whole world itself, in the universe, night follows day, seasons change, birds migrate and return, tides come in and they go out. God's rhythmic imprint has been placed everywhere. I read a book years ago called The Fingerprint of God, and you just see it, how he created. And our senses are aware of the rhythm of the world around us. Sometimes there are people, they can even just smell the air, and they know what's coming with the weather. God created order. He gave us an amazing harmony that governs the operation of this whole entire universe. Big or small, everything is in some kind of motion. In, a, in either a very regular or a periodical pattern. It's just there. Every motion of this depends on certain laws. And we discovered those laws as intelligence and humanity began to grow. We started putting numbers to some of these laws and mathematical formulas. And we realized, ah, there's something going on here. There's a creator. I like what one author writes. It is possible to study natural sciences thanks to this orderly flow in existence and the prevalent laws, rhythms that appear through existential motions in the universe are like the harmonious sounds made by hitting musical instruments at certain intervals. Electrons revolve around the nucleus, the moon around the world, and the world around the sun as the world completes rotating around its own axis in 24 hours. It orbits around the sun with a speed of 30 kilometers an hour, and it does not even make a second's delay in competing, completing its yearly tour. It's fascinating. When you take the time to study the intricacies of creation, all the way from our bodies to the universe. To me, it's utterly mind-blowing and amazing. Yet with both, we continue to see missteps. We continue to see the rhythm kind of off a little bit. And so we hear about the onslaught of autoimmune diseases running rampant. We hear about extreme weather that conditions on the rise, the deterioration, the mistakes of what is going on with what God created. I'm going to add one more rhythm that we've seen. I love this one, too, and I've been hyping on my family about it. It's the circadian rhythm, the internal clock. We all have it. That, that it tells you it's nighttime, it's time to sleep, it's daytime. They talk about how we break the circadian rhythm with these night shifts. And I used to point to my son. I said, son, you know, firefighting in the middle of the night. Most of the time they sleep anyways. But I would look at those type of things and I would go, it's not, it plays havoc with the body. It's not how we were created. And they now know that all living things have a circadian rhythm, a clock, internal rhythms, plants, animals, all sizes, even fungi and bacteria have these clocks. And they regulate a lot more than sleep, by the way. We rely on circadian rhythm to regulate our metabolisms, insulin, 
glucose levels, hormone production, core body temperature, brainwave activity, cell regeneration, all internally. Your organs are all on a clock. If that doesn't say something about the hand of the Creator, I don't know what does, but there it is. So from bacteria to living cells, we're all wired to beat, at rhythm. And that's why when that alarm clock wakes us up in that ungodly hour and we are disrupted, we begin to feel it. When we get restless and anxious and we don't get a good night's sleep, the body begins to get off kilter. Prolong that for too long and they'll say, you're even going to play havoc on your cardiovascular and the rest of your life because we're not meant for that. And so diseases become rampant. And I'm looking at all this and saying, God is this incredible designer and this musician all together. He composed everything with rhythms. And we're only beginning to get a taste of that as our knowledge increases. But I lead all this into this. Why do you think Paul said in Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people, really, when you look at this, you're without excuse. You cannot look at this and not see the deeper look, the more intent look, the more we listen, the more we realize God is revealed. And so you'd have to be blind or simply decide intentionally to look the other way to notice otherwise. And that's why after every day that God created the beginning of creation, we read on each day, and God saw that it was good. God's good is so much better than anything we could ever produce in our excellence. But there it was. Right at the beginning, we're told it was perfection. The Garden of Eden, God, mankind, all of the wildlife and and the plants, and all in this perfect rhythm and unity and walking side by side in perfection. And so we had it for a brief moment. There was no threats, there was no death, there was no decay. But then sadly, we know sin enters the world and the rhythm is broken. It's thrown off. Sadly, a pattern that has continued from that moment down, all down through history. Perfection becomes imperfect. And life is introduced to death. And so suddenly we have a world where sadness is alongside happiness. And we have peace, but we have anxiety. There's joy, but there's anger. There's love, but there's hate. There's enjoyment, but there's suffering. Life and death, they're all rhythm breakers. They're interrupting what God intended. And so the world would not be the same. Rhythm didn't stop, by the way. It's still there. It's not perfect, but that's why we long for better days. And so we create a vocabulary with words like anticipation and expectation. In the Bible, a good one all the time is hope. There's a new day coming, hope. And so it was with this all in mind that, again, Paul writes in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory one day that will be revealed in us. For the creation, all of it, waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected, all of it, to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, but in hope 
that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. See, you and I are not the only ones waiting for this liberation. So is my dog. So are the deserts. All of creation. They're all not how it should be. All living things have been impacted by the break in the rhythm of what God intended. And so, yes, one day we will return to perfection. We will walk in complete rhythm once again. We will not skip a beat. As the verse says, no more tears will be shed. But until that glorious day, we live in a state of missed cues, wrong notes, Sometimes some bad marching, music that is reminiscent of my oldest son when he started to learn how to play the drums at home. Best way I could describe it was noise. Loud noise. Lots of loud noise. That's where I thought a garage that's not attached to the house is a pretty good thing. Well, friends, we live in this broken harmony world with noise. Sometimes a lot of loud noise. And it's an existence where the rhythm is disrupted. The original intent of everything that God had in mind for us is lost somewhat. Not all rhythm. We still have incredible world, the potential to make harmonies, incredible symphonies, music that just gets to the deep part of you that wants you to get up and start moving and dancing, even though some Baptists... But it's marred. It's marred with imperfections and is only a shadow of what was and but what one day will be. But we're told, as in Romans, a day of liberation and bondage breaking is coming. But for today, and that's where we're going to bring it all back again, I want us to remember this as a church. I want us to try and make good music together as best we can. I want Daybreak to echo the experiences of those in the past who have experienced the blessings of God in this whole state with harmony and rhythm breakers all around us. And so 2 Chronicles 5.13, I love it. It says, the trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and other instruments. The singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, he is good, his love endures forever. Then The temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Can you imagine that? God shows up, and we can't even do normal business because his glory and his presence is filling this place. But like my playing skills for five years with a clarinet and high school band, we're going to have a few squeaks that's why i was third chair every once in a while we just won't be able to fulfill what we expected we'll be unable as a church sometime to reach certain notes we will at times play where the the score of the music said to rest and where it says rest someone will play some will crescendo when they're not really supposed to at that time and some will have an accent where well we're we're not called to but that's okay. Our tempo may be off. Our tone may be a little in question, but we move on in anticipation that it is in the context of our humanness and the potential for mistakes that we hang on to that word, hope, 
And we will exclaim together as a church, as in David did in Psalms 27, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of a sacred tent, set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with what? Shouts of joy. I will sing. I will make music to the Lord. And I said, don't you want to make music? And what is that going to look like in light of broken rhythms? Well, we don't really have to look any further than the person of Jesus Christ, who not only wrote the entire score, composed it, but he finally settled the score. Paul prayed this for the church in Rome that had its own issues. And he said, may the God who gives, here's a key word, endurance and encouragement, give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on, he says, so accept one another. Just as Christ accepted you in order to what? To bring praise to God. And so this new vocabulary introduced in light of our brokenness, we continue to have words that scream at us from Scripture like patience, (laughs) forgiveness, tolerance, as Matt said, all the one another's that we're encouraged to live in, which we will be beginning to deal with just a few of them, but encourage one another, love one another, build up one another, honor one another, forgive one another. You see, when Jesus told them, you know, all the laws can be summed up in this, love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself, he wasn't kidding He said, if we're going to get through the complexities of a world where the rhythm is kind of off a bit, he understood it's going to be a little labor intensive. Community always is, by the way. But he understood the necessity of it to get through. And I get it in one sense when you hear good, (laughs) almost perfect, every note right where it's supposed to, following all the musical cues to perfection. It creates, yes, the best sound intended, the best opportunities. But I'm afraid we play with a lot of broken instruments and musical scores that may kind of miss a few notes and pages. But we gather and we do our best. We don't have a drum set. We beat the side of a box. If we forgot the words, do what I do, make them up. My kids always go, Dad, those aren't the words to the song. I know. They're better. You hum. Regardless of hitting every beat right on cue, we just don't stop playing. You don't stop singing. You don't stop dancing. We don't drop the volume because the tone is not quite there. God says, I deserve it all. And I work within that. So when Paul wrote in Romans 15 concerning brothers and sisters who may not totally agree with certain positions that they held with each other, I know we all agree with everything. And when the choice of musical instruments vary and differ, he talks about being servant to all. 
He says, well, minister not to please ourselves. And that's the model Jesus exemplified. God who became man, remember that, moved from basically an incredible harp to a single broken string as a human being. The creator serving the created. So Romans 15, we read in verse 2, Paul says, We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, what again? We might have hope. What an incredible thing. Yes, you are labor-intensive. Yes, I am labor-intensive. Just ask my wife. When we live in the context of a relationship with God and each other, whether it's in a marriage, a friendship, at work, or here in the church, the Bible says you continue on with the rhythm best you can despite all that's going around us. But you don't stop. You try to create the best that you can given the circumstances. So, yes, a little endurance is required. And yes, accept one another in your differences as Christ accepted you. It didn't say agree with everyone. We're not always going to agree, but accept one another. And all the churches that I've been a part of, the part that hurt me the most was the anger and the bitterness and the inability for fellow brothers and sisters to even look each other in the face because of the differences. And I said, that ought not be. But we all know, but my taste of music is best. We all know that. Those others, that, that, that's an acquired taste. When my son not only took on drums, he took on something called screamo. You really don't sing. Well, you do. I, they, they would say they sing, but it just sounds like screaming. Still, they're not. Not my acquired taste. I recall as a team when we had a youth choir and we went from church to church in the conference, we had people walk out. Why? Were we that bad? No, we had drums. Sounds strange, but you know, since I've been here at daybreak, people who really love the building, love the place, love the people, came to me and said, we got to go. Was it the music? No, other preferences. Said, we can't be here. It happens. But that should never negate our ultimate goal. Accept one another then as Christ accepted you in order why to bring God praise. Now, I'm not saying you can never leave. (laughs) Sign here. Of course, you have to go where you feel God's leading you. But your rhythm may be more country than rock, more pop over opera. You may choose screamo. The church has no limit of diversity. Calvinism versus Armenianism, submersed or poured, women or men, healing or suffering, wrath or simplicity, organized or free-spirited, tongues or silence, faith or action, King James or the message. We have them all. 
And what I discovered years ago, even when I went to my first church and I ended up having a, a kidney that was five times the size it was supposed to be, probably from birth because of a kinked ureter. By the way, never tell your mother that, it, that because she thinks it was her fault. I had a brother in the Lord come to me and say, Pastor Glenn, I know you're booked for surgery, but you don't have to go. I said, you just got to have faith. I still chose to go. <laughs> I often wonder if I had a knife in the side of my back, would he give me the same advice? Not sure, but you know what? I admired his faith. But there's differences. We're all called to stand before God. And some pray for wealth, and others, I just work for it. The balance that exists between all of these differences and our, our earthly roles to our spiritual expectations. And so we will look at things like punishment from God because I'm suffering, whereas others will say, no, no, I'm suffering because I'm growing in the Lord. And we have all these perspectives. There's no shortage of them. But the band shouldn't break up because of that. We shouldn't quit the music. We shouldn't walk away from the musical score, God's truth and the scriptures. And I'm not saying that we can't have all the answers, but we won't have all the answers. The last sermon I did at Brentview was that one day we're going to get to heaven and find out we were wrong in so many areas. I remember singing on an overhead projector and someone saying, this is wrong, pastor. You only sing from a hymnal. We've become tone deaf. When this creeps into that extent, we become tone deaf because it becomes about me, not the music. The music is lost and suddenly Mozart turns into chopsticks because we're getting in the way. The piano becomes broken and keyless and the music disappears because we're so caught up in what we have to prove. And so the Apostle Paul, he even saw this right in the outset, in the beginning of the early church, the formation of the church and God's kingdom on this earth. And he knew what it would take to get through this imperfection. And so he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. To the Jews, he says, I became like a Jew. Why? To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, but I became like one. Why? To win those under the law. To those that don't even have the law, I became like one that is not with law. Even though I am, he said, under the law of God and Christ. But he said, so to the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in his blessing. He didn't give up on his essential faith, by the way, and the main doctrines and on the key original score that was written by God himself. But styles and interpretations and musical preferences, my goodness, I'll even tolerate opera for you people if it means the gospel. I'm sorry to all those who love opera. <laughs> when I first came to Calgary, the first senior pastor took me to one. Oh, I had to fake it so bad that I was enjoying this. 
That's why Eugene Peterson said, I am not myself by myself. I am not myself by myself. There is so much more to our existence than ourselves and my needs and my wants and my impulses and my music. There is no such thing as a hermit Christian. Jesus, again, was not kidding when he said all the laws can be summed up. Love God, love people. Holy living, resurrected living is never a self-project. We are called the people of God. And we're not called to love these lives as individuals. We are part of a kingdom. We're not a self-defined community. We're a God-defined community. Holy living in which the love of God is poured out into us. And in this community, this love is reproduced as we pour it out to everyone else. No matter how right we feel we are in our beliefs or how accurately we praise or persuasively preach or write or declare our beliefs, all the rhythms that we move to the best, but if love doesn't shape all of that, if love is not behind the way we speak and act, then the music is being lost. And that's why people stay away from church. We have become rhythm breakers. So life isn't simply thinking about God alone or singing about God. It's about living God in the presence here and with everyone in all situations and at work and in, in amidst heartache and failure and joys. You know, just this morning as I, I was tempted to work on my sermon, I wasn't feeling comfortable with it. And I said, well, I'll just, you know, treat that as my devotional. And I get down there and God said, no, 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 no. Do your devotional. So I do my devotional, and sure enough, once again, he just confirms so many things. And what do I read this morning as my devotional as I do my steps? Romans 16, 18, for such people. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those who are causing disruptions in the church. They do exist, even back then. And he said, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. And I was looking at that and going, their own appetites. I said, you know, we got to ask ourselves, what are we hungry for? What are we really hungry for? Because what I hunger for will motivate me. You know, sometimes we have that saying, you know, I'm going with my gut on this one. I'm going with my gut. Well, that works if your gut's going in the right direction, if you're hungering for the right things. And if it's the gospel and it's the purpose of the kingdom of God in humility, then you're moving in the right direction. And I looked at that again. I says, isn't that ironic? Just once again to the rhythm of life that now they tell us as they study life and the body and nutrition that they consider your stomach, by the way, the second brain. More messages go from your stomach to your brain than your brain to your stomach. Even things like mood and depression, they're seeing the correlation with the stomach and all that goes on inside with all your friendly bacteria and everything else. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Here it is, that whole thing that God created. 
But Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be filled. Amazing, when we strive for the rhythm of God, a wave that washes over us through the Holy Spirit, it's amazing how different we see each other and how we deal with each other. And so Paul writes, as I wrap this up, Philippians 4, for I have learned, there's a key word, Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. And so that was his prayer for the church. Paul goes on. He says, you know what? I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, even in services I'm really not enjoying. He says, what is it he also said? Well, I'm content whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry. I'm content whether I'm living in plenty or if I want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know, for years I wished I would have stayed in music longer and didn't quit band and didn't quit piano so quickly. I would have enjoyed that. But how much more people do we need to learn the secrets? Learn the secrets to be content and to serve and to bring glory to God. So the trumpeters gathered, we're told in Chronicles, the music played. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. That's what we want. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God that, well, you pursue us. You are a God that has created us, wired us, so detailed in such a powerful way that we are we're just blown away if we fully understood even a tenth of how you did things. We would never question again the hand of a creator God. And so, Father, as we pursue this thing called church and people say, yeah, but you're small and you that doesn't matter. Father God, we come to be used by you in a way that you are glorified and this kingdom of yours is grown. The community is ministered to. We as brothers and sisters in Christ have come to serve and love and, and to build each other up, to be used by you, to encourage And that, God, again, we'd honor you in all things. May we never forget these things, and may they challenge us, lead us, guide us in all that we do. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.